Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, I've uh, changed my text this morning. I know, I know, it's in the bulletin. And yet the bulletin's not the Bible. And um, we're going to talk about the, the reality of our need to be one with one another. There's so much talk about how divided our nation is, but I, I believe that the reason why we are so divided as a nation is because our discourse is so shallow. It's all about politics. Rather than going deep, talking about not just belief, but going tapping down into faith. Because think about it, if, if you ever speak about your faith, whenever you do, it's something you're going to say for the very first time. We can't live this life without our faith being in transit without our faith always developing, because things happen that make our faith change. Not our doctrines, but our faith. And so, as a church, we want to talk about faith. Doctrines are not as deep as faith. Politics, not as deep as doctrine. And relationships ultimately tap into faith. And so, the Apostle Paul is reminding God's people to set aside whatever divides them and seek out those things that make them one. Corinth was located between the Aegean and the Mediterranean seas, and so it was a, it was a place that was traveled over often by people from all over the world. And it was populated by just about every conceivable nationality of the ancient world. And the church as it started, was a gathering of people of all kinds of different persuasions, backgrounds. And so the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, is actually writing about the divisions that have set itself in the church. And so here the word of God as it comes to us from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the, work, to the church in Corinth. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek wisdom. So when we preach Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation... 
both Jews and Gentiles. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakest weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So we're playing University High School. And Earl Hogue was their forward. And I played for Poly High. He was all league. I was all league. They were coming to play on our court. And I was going to get him. So I thought about a, a head-to-head conflict with Earl. And I was... By halftime, I'd already scored a dozen points and had a half dozen rebounds and was feeling pretty full of myself. And then the coach at halftime said, Anderson, come here, sit down here, down at the end of the bench. And he leaned over and looked me in the eye, Ray Halley, looked me in the eye and said, what the heck is wrong with you? He didn't use heck. (laughs) He said, you you take a 20-footer Just because you see Earl's after you, you take a 20-footer, you miss the shot. Heiliger was standing right under the basket. Quit thinking about yourself and play the game the way it's supposed to be played as a team. (laughs) Obviously, I still remember that to this day. (laughs) Once again, the coach was right. I was wrong. And second half, I began to be aware of other players. It wasn't just me and Earl out there going at it with one another. It was us as a team playing our best. And yes, we wanted to win, but, but ultimately this is about us playing together as a team. And I don't know how I did the second half. Because all I could think about was getting chewed out by the coach. But I do know that I learned by that mistake. I learned by the mistake of seeking my glory. Seeking to do that which would give me prominence over my personal opponent. I learned. I also learned then and in many other ways, I can't do it alone. None of us can do it alone. Life is not an individual sport. We can't do it alone. And this is the wisdom that I've also acquired from Admiral William McRaven in his little book, Make Your Bed. Second chapter is called You Can't Do It Alone. And he says this in summation as he talks about his SEAL training and how all the SEALs had to, 10 SEALs had a Uh, had a boat or seven, I don't know how many seals, but they had a boat that they, a a blow-up raft that they had to manage together. They talked about how necessary it was for them to function as a team, that when one was sick, the others had to pick up the slack, and they all had to work together to make it happen. And he says this, as he writes about a personal tragedy in his life where he almost lost his life, almost lost his ability to function as a seal. None of us are immune from life's tragic moments. Tragic 
reality of this week. None of us are immune to life's tragic moments. Like the small rubber boat we had in SEAL training, it takes a team of good people to get you to your destination in life. You cannot paddle the boat alone. Find someone to share your life with. Make as many friends as possible. Never forget, your success depends on others. I like that phrase, make as many friends as possible. Get connected, be connected with one another. Nurture your relationships with one another. Uphold one another, one another. take care of each other. Because we can't do this alone, we can't get through this alone. It was interesting because I had about 10 years later a conversation where I was at one of these rubber chicken events when I was working in politics in LA. And uh, John Wooden was the speaker, coach from UCLA. And I got up, uh, I got an opportunity after the dinner to go talk to John Wooden. And I told him who I was. I went to UC Santa Barbara and he said, I remember you. You were awesome. No, he didn't remember me. <laughs> But just in the course of conversation, he made the comment. He said, Kurt, you know, I never coached the team. I coached each player. The associates handled all the strategy, the defense and the offensive plays. But I coached players so that they would play as a team. And that just stuck with me. Because everyone that I've known subsequently who played for John Wooden loves the man to this day. Love him. And he coached players to play as a team. While the associates did all the strategy of teamwork. So critical. Because we cannot do it. We can't do it alone. So the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Corinth. The reality of the Corinthian correspondence was there were at least six letters that went from the apostle to that church. The church was constantly fighting with one another. There was all kinds of problems with this church because they had the Greeks who came in with their philosophical thinking, the Jews who came in with their Jewishness, they had Persians who came in with their mythologies, they had Romans that had their, their silly political mythologies, and they were all in the same church, and they were all trying to, they were all contending with one another, trying to get the upper hand. They were all seeking their own personal glory. And the Apostle Paul said in so many correspondences, knock it off. Enough of this. This isn't working. And the Apostle Paul spilled more ink on the matter of division in the church than any other single topic other than salvation by grace through faith. When he's addressing churches, he's addressing them to get along, to set aside your differences, and to be one with one another. And if we think about it, why? Why would people be divisive in the church? What's, what's the advantage? I remember going to my church in California 
on the coast and I followed a 22-year pastorate. And what I came to realize that was that if you were not your predecessor, when somebody has had a long-term pastorate, if you were not your predecessor, you were less than. You were not as good. And, and I, I went in working hard, doing the best I could to be a, a good pastor to these people. But then I had people complaining about one thing or another. Well, he walked by me in the courtyard, didn't say hi to me. Hmm. Hundreds of people. And, and one has to ask, what earthly good does it do to sow division in a church? To be critical. To be harsh. William McRaven in his little book, talks about the seals on their rubber rafts and their competitions and everything else and, and how they had to row hard together and everyone had to give everything they had to move in one single direction. A church where there's division, there's somebody rowing in the opposite direction. Someone's trying to take control. Someone's trying to hold it back. And what good does this do? There are no winners. And the church loses. And then people come into the church and they go to the fellowship area afterwards and they grab some coffee and, and cookies and whatever. And then they hear people griping about the church. Griping about this or that. I'm not going back there. One of the preliminary principles of the Reformed Church is that the church is to be the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. And how are we exhibiting anything if we're divided? So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Bill and I were at a conference of the Covenant Church, which I have believed for a long time is a magnificent. As denominations go, I thought it was awesome. Still do. But there we were, and enjoying ourselves, listening to some really fine pastors. And then this guy gets up to speak. And he was talented, capable, had a great, obviously had a great sense of humor. But then the tone turned angry. And he was preaching about the contest at Mount Carmel. And he didn't use the text. He didn't exegete the text. He eisegeted the text. He used the text as a pretense for what he wanted to say. He reconstructed the text into a soapbox, got up on top of it, and then started talking politics to us. And he declared that the great idolatry of our time, the great idolatry of our time is whiteness. Bill and I were sort of stunned, sitting in the seat. And he went on from there, and it was incendiary. And some of the people there were raising their arms and fists and going like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill and I were sitting here thinking, well, we're white guys. Are we the enemy? Why? Would anyone sow 
division in the church. That's why the words of Martin Luther King were so powerful. It's not the color of skin, it's the content of character. But when the church starts doing stuff like color of skin and emphasizing that, it's violating the truth of the gospel. Because that church in Corinth had all colors of people. All nationalities, everything, rich and poor. They met in the house of Chloe, who was probably a wealthy woman. And Paul says to them, you all were poor. There were poor people, rich, but everything. Why would anyone sow division amongst the people of God? When... Things like Mike and then that Finkel happen in our life as a church. Why would we ever do such a thing to compromise the health and the strength of a church at such a time as that? When we need to stand with one another and uphold one another, pray for one another, show up with casseroles and carrot cakes for one another when these things happen. So the Apostle Paul grieves and he reminds them, your unity, say you're all baptized into Christ. You say, I have, well, I liked Apollos. I liked this guy. He, he was much better than Paul. I liked that guy. And he reminds them, you were baptized into Christ. In Christ alone is your center. He is the one who makes you one. And can we look across the ideological divides and see in the other one who is loved by God since before he created the, the earth? And if God loves in that way, why can't we strive to love in that way? So what we do and this may sound like Sunday school. We try to be like Jesus. We try to do as Jesus did. We look at the example that Christ gave us, loving one another. He said, I would, would that you would be one even as the Father and I are one. Love one another as I have loved you. So we look to Jesus. We take him as our daily example because we need an example. We need living realities of, of who we are becoming and what it is that we are to do with our lives because all of us, are, all of us fail. All of us stumble and, and have struggles. So we try to be like Jesus. There's a wonderful song written and is a kind of an anthem in the Mormon church. It simply says, trying to love my neighbor. I'm learning to serve my friends. I watch for the day of gladness when Jesus will come again. I try to remember the lessons he taught. Then the Holy Spirit enters into my thoughts, saying, love one another as Jesus loves you. Try to show kindness in all that you do.
be gentle and loving in deed and in thought. For these are the things that Jesus has taught. So we try to be like Jesus. That's all this is. It's impossible for us individually. It's hard enough when we're together. But we can't do it alone. Will you bow with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, that we can't. Thank you that you call us out of isolation and into this which is your body. Thank you that you have made us brothers and sisters of one another, more than friends. And thank you, O Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, we can be one in your Son. In his name we pray. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.